So um, I'm going to talk about impact investing, which is investing in for-profit companies for the sake of social impact, with the intention of having social impact. The question is whether it succeeds in meeting that intention. There's two ways you could do impact investing, one being kind of removing your capital from harmful companies, and another being investing capital into um, socially beneficial companies. How many people here are involved in impact investing? And who would like to sort of get involved? Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, it's getting more attention from philanthropists and in the kind of for-profit world, there's lots of talk of social, um, socially responsible investing. So I think it's, it's worthwhile there being some sort of EA thought about, about how it might actually do good. So if we look at the history of socially responsible investing, I think it's quite informative. The, the most visible initial um, socially responsible investing campaign was the boycott, divest and sanctions movement against apartheid South Africa. And it's often held up as kind of a successful case of socially responsible investing. But I think if you actually look at the evidence, the divestment came divestment campaign didn't have that much effect and the total funds divested were quite small relative to the um, kind of size of the funds in South Africa. So it's, it's held up as a, an example of a success, but it didn't kind of seem to have that much effect. Although it did, it was associated with various um, restrictive regulations and, and, and political pressure being, being brought against South Africa. In the 90s, there was a lot of attention put towards tobacco divestment. So trying to get um, investors to take their money out of tobacco companies and gained quite a bit of attention again. But again, the total amount of funds that were removed from tobacco were, were quite small relative to the market cap of the industry. So didn't seem to have that much effect. The most recent and most prominent divestment campaign is the fossil fuel investment campaign. So there's things like 350.org who are advocating for sovereign wealth funds and pension funds to take their money out of fossil fuels. And this has gained a lot more momentum. And so you can argue it's having a more direct effect on, on, on the industry. And you can see here, this is the growth in uh, investing that's calling itself socially responsible. As we'll see it's a bit of uh, it's not a lot of it's not very strict, so I think some of the labeling is a bit misleading, but nevertheless, there has been quite a bit of growth and yeah, so this is the proportion that I think is strict of the total stock market maybe the the assets under management in the world is valued at about a hundred trillion um, and maybe around twenty percent of that is socially responsible and strict. So I'll discuss why that is in a bit more detail um, in a bit. So when we're looking at how impact investing has impact, we need to get clear on the conceptual background. And there's two aspects to this. So when you're an impact investor, you're thinking, how can I actually have an effect on um, socially beneficial practices in the world? You have to think about additionality, firstly. So you have to think about what difference does my investment actually make to the performance of the company that I'm either divesting from or investing from, investing into. 
Um, another way you can have impact through your um, investment is, is through non-monetary effects. So you might be able to, to provide non-monetary support to a company that might help it to succeed. Um, and you might have... The, there might be things associated with your investment that allow you to affect the wider world. So like I mentioned with apartheid South Africa, maybe the divestment campaign allowed them to successfully campaign against um, the apartheid government. Um, the other thing you need to do when you're trying to do impact investing is to find uh, an impactful company. And that is actually harder than, than a lot of impact investors think it is. Um, so those are the two aspects of how you can have impact as an impact investor. And for both of these, the counterfactual is key. So you can see Gwyneth Paltrow there um, just missing the sliding doors, getting onto the tube. And you have to think about what would have happened if she'd made it into that tube carriage and met, met John Hanna, who you can just about see in the, in the carriage. And that's kind of the crucial thing when you're assessing um, the difference your investment can make is what, diff like, what difference does it make to what would otherwise have happened and what difference does the company make to what, what, what would otherwise have happened. Um, typical EA wisdom that has been written about uh, impact investing says that in large public stock markets, it's very hard to affect the stock price of um, traded companies. And the reason for that is that large public stock markets you have lots of traders who are trying to um, find, trying to make money, and they're all, they all have the same information, which means that if you, if someone, if there's some sort of divestment movement and that causes people to sell their stocks in a fossil fuel company, then socially neutral investors who don't care about impact will just kind of come in and arbitrage, arbitrage away any effect on price. So you can see in this, uh, look at the laser, well, there's no laser. But in this um, diagram, you've got the price falling and then what happens is that there's, there's reversion to the kind of fundamental value of the stock in the long run or in the, in the short run, depending on how efficient, how efficient the market is. So if the market's highly efficient, the, the, demand for, the demand curve for stocks is perfectly elastic, so it's horizontal. So changes in, in the demand uh, for the stock don't have any effect on the price. Um, how true is this assumption? How true is, is it to say that capital markets are efficient? I think there's lots of evidence of short-term efficiency. So on the, on the course of about three months, there's lots of evidence that markets, um, that capital markets are inefficient. You can, you can test this by looking at what happens to the price of stocks that get included in an index. In an index. So if um, a company gets added to the Standard & Poor 500, that means that lots of index funds like Vanguard are going to come in and buy those stocks. And that's like a short-term effect, uh, short-term increase on, de on demand of demand for that stock. And there is evidence that has an effect on the value of that stock after three months. Nevertheless, there is also evidence that the stock reverts to its kind of fundamental value, which is just the net present value of the future cash flows of the business. So basically, um, stock prices probably revert fully to where they were on the order of six months. So if you're running a divestment campaign and 
you have that you do have a chance of having a short run effect on the on the stocks, but they'll eventually revert to where they were. Um, that being said, if no one invested in fossil fuels, then the industry wouldn't exist. So there has to be some tipping point from the point at which, like you as a marginal investor, basically make no difference to the stock price, and where there is an effect, a long-run effect on the performance of the industry. It's a bit unclear when this tipping point occurs. So suppose that 20% of industries in the stock market are um, harmful, then you might think that in order to, that for there to be an effect on the value of, the, of those stocks, you have to 80% of the stock market has to be divested from harmful industries. Otherwise, there'd always be someone to, to move, there'd always be socially neutral investors to move in and bring the stock price back to where it was. Um, I think this is unrealistic for for various reasons, namely that there's kind of constraints on how far traders can move into different markets and um, yeah, other things. So it makes it not, not realistic. Maybe the lower um, tipping point is that divestment campaigns will start having an effect when the divested funds, the, total, the size of the total divested funds is comparable to the, si the market cap of the industry. So if fossil fuels are 20% of the industry and 20% of the stock market is divested from fossil fuels, then that will start having an appreciable long-term effect on the, on the stock price of those companies. Uh, maybe it's something in between. So I, I think there's, there's more, more research on this would be useful. But to get further into this question, we need to understand how much of the stock market would be good uh, how, how much of the stock market is, is good and bad and how much socially responsible investing is there? Like how far away from any potential tipping point are we? So about 20% of like 20 to 30% of the stock market is, is in, um, this is like fossil fuels. So you might think that, oh, that's, yeah. So you might, you might think that, you know, you've got to add in like tobacco and alcohol and, prostitution when well, they're not going to be traded on the stock market but tobacco and alcohol things like that um, so that's how much of the stock market is harmful and then this is how much SRI there is this is so this is socially responsible investing and it's kind of uh, I, I think it's important to point out that a lot of socially responsible investing isn't very strict the strictest form is the is the bar, the bar chart at the bottom which is negative or exclusionary screening what that means is you exclude an entire industry um, from your fund. So you exclude fossil, fossil fuels, for example. Um, and then you kind of, as you go up this uh, chart, you get kind of less and less strict. ESG integration just means you take account of environmental social governance uh, scores of different companies. And that is often not very strict. And then there's like um, less important things uh, further up. So, yeah, um, so best in class, which you, you see is third top there, like quite a small part of, of social responsible investing. Best in class just means you're the best environmental social governance um, company in your industry. So if you're the most environmentally friendly tobacco company, that can mean you get a best in class score. Um, 
And as ESG ratings are done at the moment, they're not a good guide to social impact. So you can see here, the, this is from Yahoo Finance, you can see the ESG ratings for British American Tobacco and uh, Lint, the master chocolatiers. And it, the ESG rating for Lint is, is actually lower than the one for British American Tobacco. Uh, so something's going wrong with these rankings, basically. And then that leads to certain funds that label themselves as socially responsible, including uh, think companies like ExxonMobil. So this is Vanguard's socially responsible investing fund, includes uh, yeah, ExxonMobil. And that's quite a, quite a common thing. There's a lot of mislabeling. It's quite, it's quite, mis quite misleading. Um, yeah, and also I think it's like worth mentioning some socially responsible investing fund, um, funds exclude nuclear power, even though I think nuclear power is like good for the world. So where are we in relation to the tipping point? So I think about 20% of socially responsible invest, uh, of investing is strict and socially responsible. And maybe like 20, so there's 20 to 30% of the, of the fossil fuel, 20% uh, of the stock market is in fossil fuels. And then there's, so we, we might be nearing the tipping point at the moment. And I think, you know, the, the value of the oil and gas industry is, is upwards of, of $4 trillion. But according to 350.org, about 11 trillion has been divested from uh, the fossil fuel industry. So you might expect this to start having a material impact on the stock prices of these companies. Um, another point that's often made is that in large public stock markets, you're, you're, um, you're, you're dealing with equity in secondary markets, which means that it doesn't really affect the activities of a company that um, whose, whose stock is traded there. It, it just affects their shareholders, not their usable capital. So if you're, if you're a big tobacco company, you're going to get a lot of your income just from selling all your cigarettes rather than um, raising finance from investors. And it would only affect you if you wanted to raise extra capital by, sell, by selling additional stock. Um, but nevertheless, there's reasons for these companies to care about their stock price, namely that you know shareholders care about having money, so they're going to put pressure on the company to um, change if they can. And there's also it's also going to be important for new and growing businesses. So if there's a, start, a startup cigarette company, it's going to be harder if lots of investors have, have, have divested from them, and, that, and, that, and everyone knows that. But I think this this point is so. I think this point is generally less important. Another key thing to think about if you're doing socially responsible investing on the stock market is whether you lose out financially. Because if you lose out, then the, the opportunity cost is money that you could have donated to something effective. The reason for thinking that there's financial sacrifice is just that you're arbitrarily foreclosing part of the stock market. And any rational investor would just want as many options as possible. So according to modern portfolio theory, you just want as big a portfolio as possible. That's going to reduce your risk. Um, the argument against that is that maybe ESG ratings are correlated with financial performance for other reasons. So maybe fossil fuel companies are going to face additional litigation, additional regulation, consumer boycotts, and things like that in the future. And also... Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but anyway, the anyway, so that 
there's theoretical reasons there. And then the empirical evidence is kind of mixed, as you might expect. It's going to be very noisy. You're looking at the performance of, like, you know, SRI funds and um, just standard investment funds. And it's, there's lots of different things going on. And it's hard to kind of tease out what, tease out all the different confounders. So the meta analyses that there are show not much of an effect of SRI on financial performance, if any. And the theory says that if you, the, the benefits to kind of diversifying across the whole stock market are actually quite small. If you, if you own 90, uh, 50 stocks, you get like 90% of the diversification benefits that you would have if you had access to like everything. So it's, it's, it's pretty modest. Um, there's also evidence that sin stock funds, so funds that just buy things like tobacco and alcohol and gambling, um, consistently outperform the market. But again, it's hard to say why this is. It might be because they face high risk of litigation, so there's additional risk and, and that kind of thing. So I think it's reasonable to think that if, if you're, if you're um, socially responsible investing campaign and program gets close enough to a tipping point that you could have at best have at most a, a kind of modest effect on the stock price of the targeted companies, but that you probably don't have to sacrifice that much financially if you do that. Um, but the existing evidence is, is, very, is very noisy on that. So maybe SRI is better than socially neutral investing from an impact point of view. But that doesn't mean that you should do Socially, socially responsible investing instead of effective donating. I think there's pro the, the total amount of the effect you can have is, is quite small. Where you could have greater impact is in inefficient markets. So where there's fewer traders um, and there's imperfect information. So things like venture capital and angel investing. If, if there's only a, a very small number of investors that know about the opportunity, that means there's just less opportunity for people to move in. And this kind of counterfactual effect is, is not as big as it, it might appear. Nevertheless, I think you still need to think about these counterfactual considerations. So you need to think about um, additionality and what difference your investment could make. And a lot of impact investors don't really do that. They just think about what did the company do? I invested in it. That's good. But you think about what would have happened if I had invested. Um, there's also some evidence that divestment campaigns have, had, have been correlated with restrictive regulation of harmful industries. But I think it would be surprising if that turned out to be the most effective way to target an industry. It's something we started for other reasons, and then we're saying oh, it's actually good because it raises awareness. I think there's probably better ways to, to raise awareness. I think that's more likely. Um, so that's additionality, how you have additionality as an investor. Then you need to think about how do I find an impactful business? And I think something that a lot of impact investors don't take account of is that calculating profit is very different to calculating social impact. So with profit, all that matters is, did I win or not? Whereas with counterfactual social impact, what, what matters is, what would someone else have done? What would this other business have done? So if I'm Facebook, I need to think, what would have happened if a different social network would have taken control of the market rather than me? And it might be that I actually do harm, even though lots of people are happy to pay money for my services, if the thing that would have arisen instead of Facebook was like better than Facebook. 
just because you take over the market doesn't mean that you're you're having um, lots of counterfactual social impact. Um, and finding impactful companies is very difficult, and I think that's often neglected in the impact investing space from what I've seen. And it's not just about casually top, topping up, totting up social KPIs and doing fairly casual impact analysis. If you compare it to what organizations like GiveWell do, um, they're putting hundreds of hours in every year to into evaluating charities and being very rigorous about it. Overall, like optimizing for impact is hard. Optimizing for profit is hard. So optimizing for both is very hard. And as we've seen, ESG ratings aren't much of a guide if you want to do it in public stock markets. So I think the best conditions to find impactful companies are uh, that have enterprise impact of is finding companies that produce positive externalities, serve very poor consumers, or provide products that are undervalued by consumers. And if you think about companies that provide products to consumers who are very well off, something like Amazon, Uber, people like that, they've got high willingness to pay. And so the social value that those companies provide is reflected in the share price. That's not always true because... Um, Companies like Impossible Burger, um, Beyond Meat, companies like that have externalities for animals. So by reducing meat consumption, they reduce animal suffering. And that's a kind of benefit that's not captured in the transaction. And that's a way a company can have impact that's not commensurate with its um, market value. And the same for Tesla, arguably. Um, the other thing is serving poor cons consumers. So that means serving the very poorest consumers in the world because there's diminishing marginal utility to money. So there's greater consumer value from serving the poorest consumers in the world versus people in the US. You can see here life satisfaction plotted against income. It's much better to improve consumer welfare in India than it is to improve consumer welfare in United States because people in the United States are much better off. And... Yeah, also providing undervalued products could be a way that you um, provide social value in a way that doesn't um, isn't reflected in the value of your company. So maybe providing CBT or something like that. So in conclusion, the best kind of impact investing, I think, or the, the, the kind of impact investing that stands the greatest chance of impact involves doing venture capital or angel investing. It involves... Investing in companies on the brink of financial viability, where your, fun where your funding would actually make a genuine difference to the survival of the company. And the company produces positive externalities, serves poor consumers, or provides undervalued products. Those are the sorts of the principles, I think, of high impact impact investing. Um, so, then this big question, I suppose, that's relevant for uh, effective altruists is how does impact investing compare to donating? And this is a question that philanthropists are asking themselves, and obviously there's like a lot of stake on the t um, in this decision. It's hard, it's hard to make any general claims about this because I think it depends on the concrete cases. So I can imagine there being cases where um, impact investing is better than donating, but I can also imagine cases the other way around. So the, the general advantages of non-profits are that they can provide public goods. So public goods are sort of archetypally something that can't be provided by for-profit companies or where the market mechanism isn't set up in the right way. Um, so that's a picture of Hilary Graves, who does research at the Global Priorities Institute. So this is like the, producing the public good of kind of knowledge about how to make global prioritization decisions. There's no private incentives for anyone to do that. Um, 
Another advantage of nonprofits is that they can provide goods to the very badly off, where there's just no market viability. So there's famous studies of if you charge people for bed nets, the demand just goes to the demand just goes to zero, and if you give them away, people use them. So it's, it's just there doesn't seem to be a case in this particular instance for for providing that with a for profit, and. Nonprofits are kind of reliably more neglected because there's no profit involved. So um, that's a reason to think that that's one reason in favour of, of nonprofits. The main advantage of for-profits is they're not subject to a principal agent problem. So this is the play pump. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it actually uh, looks good there, but didn't go very well. And the reason is that the people that the project was trying to serve were uh, not the people who paid for the project. The people who prayed for the project were the donors to the project. So um, that means that you don't get this con consumer feedback that you get if you're a for-profit business. And I think it depends on the cause. So in the animals case, I can see it being true that 30 years ago it would have been actually better if a lot of the animal advocacy money had gone into meat alternative research. And that, that I could see that plausibly have, would have been better than going into non-profits, like trying to create for-profit companies like Corn or Impossible Foods or Beyond Burger. I, I can see the case that being higher impact. So that's an interesting kind of test case of a situation where SRI, socially responsible investing, might, might be better than donating. I think it's probably not true anymore just because it seems like a very crowded space and it's hard to find unfunded opportunities. Um, in global poverty, you can fund things like remittance companies, but again, you need to consider additionality, whether socially responsible investors would, would invest anyway if you didn't do so. Um, it's hard to say anything very general there again. I would say that I think like the general standard of um, impact evaluation by socially responsible investors is, is not that high at the moment, so there's reason to be cautious. In long-termism, finally... Uh, so there's, there's climate, you can do lots of stuff in climate. You can fund kind of clean energy providers or electric cars, things like that. You could also fund bio-risk stuff. But it also seems like a lot of the best things are kind of public goods that it's hard for the market to provide. And uh, yeah, I should stop there. So thanks very much. All right, cool. Just a short window here for questions. We're already just about at the uh, end of our time. Um, an interesting one that's kind of not covered, you covered a lot of ground and I think covered most of the questions that have come in, including most of the ones I jotted down along the way. But one that uh, was not covered in your talk is, what do you think about the possibility of doing more sort of local uh, social impact investing, such as one person suggests becoming a landlord in potentially a community that's underserved or where you think you could make an impact uh, and have some additionality? Uh, I'd be surprised if that was better than like the best thing in global development or something like that. So yeah, just for the usual reasons would be my reaction. The usual reasons being? <laughs> being that people here are much better off. So yeah, it's like less value in providing consumer value there. I was surprised to see that 20 trillion out of 100 trillion dollars are marked strictly socially responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, you covered some 
problems with that, but just to make sure I even have that correct and, and the audience says too, that's basically people that are like excluding tobacco and that's more or less it or, or how? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's hard to get particularly good data on it, but yeah, it's going to be excluding specific industries. Some of them might have done it for um, selfish reasons and like gone, we can see the way things are going for the tobacco industry. It's just going to be legislated out of existence. Now we're doing socially responsible mm-hmm. investing. Um, but yeah, that's that. That seems to be the portion of socially responsible investing that is strict. So yeah. Do you have a sense for how much of the impact? It seems like overall you're kind of bearish on the concept of of impact investing. I mean, there was there was kind of a, a little bit more hopeful tone around early stage VC, mm-hmm. and otherwise not so positive. Um, but do you think that there is something to be said for? kind of taking a concrete stand and making a statement about money that kind of goes beyond speech and is in a sense more effective advocacy or more effective speech because there's money behind it even if ultimately mm. you know the stock price reverts to the mean as you said um maybe i would still think that just funding advocacy directly and thinking about what's the best way to make this point through other kinds of funding would be the best way to do it rather than this through this very circuitous thing where you say this is actually having a material effect on the bottom line of these companies when it you know unless something big happens it's not doing that like i i still think that there might be room for where cases where socially responsible investing is good but um yeah so one last question, uh, and I'm hearing my uh, sophomore year economics professor ask it, as well as uh, one of the audience members. It seems like ultimately where you'd come down on this is invest for profit and then donate your profits. That that seems to be, aside from pretty limited cases, the recommendation that you would make. Um, I I wouldn't say like definitely do that. I think it's still a bit unclear. There might be cases where impact investing is a good thing to do. Someone actually needs to sit down and figure it out. So I wouldn't want to say definitively either way. Um, yeah, I think this this talk is more just kind of laying out the conditions. When could impact investing be good? And allowing us to think about how would we go about assessing whether it could be better than donating. Um, I think it's still kind of an open question. I know there's a few people who are doing work on that question, and I think it needs a bit more attention. Alrighty. Well, you can potentially get some more attention on these questions in office hours immediately following this talk, correct? Yes, absolutely. All right, awesome. Well, how about a, a final round of applause for John Halstead? Thank you very much. Great job.